but you know what what's an expert anymore well yeah exactly just someone who says they are one <laughs> yeah that's all, that's all it takes i i used a computer once and i bought a bitcoin so now i'm an expert at bitcoin <laughs> right that's kind of how i feel i didn't even know what this shit was a few months ago Hello and welcome to Interface. My name is Ian Fuchs, and with me this week is a very special guest, a uh, a gentleman I have podcasted with in a, a former life, Mr. Glenn Kunzler. Hello, Glenn. How are you today? Doing very, very well. So, Excited to talk about some cool tech. Yeah. So you have you've had a long storied history with with technology from being at home tech support and kind of your own little Mr. Fix It guy to very deep in the Apple ecosystem, and now your your latest adventure has been kind of in this world of cryptocurrency, and it's something that's kind of become a really hot topic lately. And I don't understand it at all, which is why I asked you to come on and and explain to me how it all works. Um, Absolutely. So, so there's a couple of of underlying concepts. Um, the thing that I like to say when you talk about things like Bitcoin and Ethereum is you're really not talking about a currency so much as you're talking about a platform, a grid computing technology. Um, while there's certainly a financial aspect to it, you can certainly use it to trade tokens back and forth. You can certainly use it to make money. You can certainly watch its value grow over time. I think there's a lot more interesting applications for this type of technology as a whole that goes far, far beyond thinking of it as just another currency. Okay, so um, I guess let, let's start at like the, the ground floor of it. Um, most people think Bitcoin when they think of this cryptocurrency, or if, if they even know the term cryptocurrency. Um, but Bitcoin people have probably heard of. So that was... Was that the start of all of this, or like as far as your? Yeah, so let's let's take a little history lesson. Uh, certainly, the biggest project that has been done with this technology yet is Bitcoin. It was the first major decentralized currency, um, and it it was birthed from a really interesting concept, and that concept was getting away from banks. So at its root, Bitcoin in the beginning was nothing more than a decentralized currency that was completely funded and backed and verified and secured by only the people that use it. Completely out of the hands of any government, completely out of the hands of any type of of rule or regulation outside of the community. A very self-contained economic trading system. So the advantages are mainly it's decentralized. So it's built on the internet and controlled by the internet community of people that trade it. It's extremely secure. Transactions are verified dozens of times before they ever get to their destination by the people that generate these coins, people called miners. The concept of mining is an interesting one. It's kind of where things really began and where things really started getting interesting. 
so the idea is that bitcoins and other blockchain-based tokens, and we'll get to that word blockchain in a minute, um, they're, they're built on this concept of um, basically, uh, the, the, I guess the best way to describe this is constant active verification. So if I'm going to send you one Bitcoin, for instance, Please do. there's a lot of things that as a user I'm going to want to happen. Um, I'm going to want there to be a record of the transaction. I'm going to want to make sure it happens quickly. I'm going to want to make sure it's secure and safe. I want to make sure it's not just one guy running this and verifying it. I want to protect myself from scams. Um, so there had to be some kind of underlying structure to it, which, which is where this is all going to kind of lead to going forward through the years and where it has led to. So I guess the, the part about it to me that seems strange and, and maybe we'll get to this at, at, at a point later on that, that I have a hard time with is Bitcoin at its inception was a currency that wasn't moderated by the banks. So it was essentially like internet cash kind of right. Cause like cash is kind of exactly like free flowing. Like if I have a bunch of cash, no one else has to know that I have a bunch of cash, but then it's kind of weird because at the same time, all of this stuff is verified and every transaction is verified numerous times. So then it's almost more watched or observed than any normal bank transaction where you have usually like you, the merchant and the bank involved and the merchant's yeah. bank, I guess. So you have, you have four people involved, two of which aren't doing any kind of verification other than I'm looking at you. You're looking back at me as I swipe my card in your little terminal or whatever. So, so it's weird that it's, it's an, it's more anonymous or more private than anything else, but it's also more public than any other transaction. Exactly. Well, not not necessarily more public because there's a serious privacy aspect to it too. When you're mining or performing the calculations needed to create or generate a new coin on the chain, you're doing that completely anonymously. So the data that you're processing is broken down to a series of calculations and equations. And by and large, it's completely divorced from who sent it and where it's going and any of the particular people involved. So it's able to protect anonymity really, really well while still being extremely verified. Hmm. But then how, how I, I guess then how does how does it get verified that like, let's say you're sending me one Bitcoin or I'm sending you one Bitcoin. How, how is it verified that it's from me to you if it's anonymous? Right. So to explain that, we're going to have to explain the technology underneath the Bitcoin, which is called blockchain. The, uh, the transactions that occur in Bitcoin are built around something called blocks. They're pre-measured chunks of data based on mathematical equations. Anytime something happens in Bitcoin or Ethereum, it goes through the blockchain. The blockchain is a record, a ledger that's kept of every single transaction. So 
there are a few components to it. The blockchain is built from addresses, sending and receiving addresses. But the nice thing about these addresses is they're basically just raw hash. Um, they're certainly unique, but they're not really identifiable and they're not really linked to a specific person other than the fact that you own the address that it came from or the address that it's going to. Sure. So, so your, your Bitcoin address or your Ethereum address is some string of a bunch of characters, but there's nothing in that string that says Glenn Kunzler or Middle of the Mountains, Utah. Exactly. Absolutely nothing that identifies you. It just declares the value of the transaction, so uh, the amount of work it's going to take to generate that transaction, and it's going to have a completion tag for when the transaction is completed successfully. Interesting. So, so there's a lot of cool things about the blockchain. Um, while at its very, very root infant level, it's really nothing more than a ledger. The fact that every single participant on the blockchain keeps the same ledger, which means there's hundreds of thousands of copies of this ledger that are all the same on hundreds of thousands of computers spanned across the internet, that opens up some really interesting potential, such as grid computing, such as the concept that because it's a decentralized network, it's not built on server clusters. It's not in one central building. It's literally spread across millions of computers across the globe. That makes it almost invulnerable to the sorts of attacks that could bring down a financial network. Sure, because, there's, because it, there's exists, nothing to it attack, exists in redundancy right? all over the world. Exactly. You could, you could attack hundreds of thousands of users and still not make a dent in the blockchain. Got it. It, it also allows you to do some really interesting things. Um, you can build more than just currency transactions on the blockchain. So a lot of cool stuff that's been done with it goes a little bit beyond Bitcoin itself and into blockchain-based applications. So we started out with just Bitcoin, which was more or less internet money. And that evolved into a lot of things. The most important of which for today is something called Ethereum. Ethereum is a competing currency, but it uses a completely different type of blockchain that's, that's handled in a very, very different way and in a way that enables it to run lots of things like smart contracts, um, which are basically sets of instructions that are set to automatically execute based on a certain transaction going across the network. So a good example of this, for instance, um, think of the banking world or something of that sort. Sure. You could very easily set up a smart contract to the point where if I send 10 Ether to a specific address, a series of rules will break down and part of that Ether will go into one of my holding accounts and part of it will go into another and maybe part of it will go to a community that's going to help me build something cool. Um, 
the fact that you can have automatic executing code and it's hard to think of it that way but that's what it really is it's code that executes based on transaction tracking so this leads to something really cool smart contracts are the foundation of something that the ethereum community calls dapps or decentralized apps the cool thing about dapps is that you can build anything as a dapp that you could build on a server cluster or that you could build on Amazon Web Services or that you could build on any number of private hosts. But the advantage is if you build it as a dapp, you get instant security. You're capable of harnessing almost an infinite amount of computing power because you literally have millions of participants across the world all powering this and making this work. It's secured by the blockchain. So there's records of everything that ever happens. Really good for tracking history or recovering something that was lost, maybe a file that you accidentally deleted, for instance. And it's all done with redundancy across millions and millions of computers. So it's almost like a new version of cloud computing. But instead of being managed by a company or the builder of the app itself, it's managed by the DAP community. Got it. So there's a lot of cool stuff being done with it. So um, you're, oh, go ahead. you're using, again, so I'm, as I stated at the beginning of this, and the reason I've, I've been so uh, delightfully quiet through all of this is I'm, every time I try to read about Bitcoin or Ethereum or blockchain, like I make it two sentences in and my eyes glaze over because there's, it's it's this is a deep topic, um, but again, why I brought somebody yeah. in who it was is far more uh, personally invested in, in in a number of ways, and so what what I'm getting out of this is you almost have like the crowdfunding equivalent where everybody's contributing their portion to make a thing happen instead of one company offering a service, right? So everybody's exactly. offering up a portion of their computer processor time and internet, acti whatever, however much internet activity it accounts for, whatever. They're basically offering up their computer. And from what I, I do understand of this is it's usually when their computer is in downtime, like they're not doing anything anymore. So they just it, leave their computer actually, up. It's actually much more interesting than that. Really? So, Traditional grid computing involves unwitting participants. The really nice thing about the blockchain is every participant in the blockchain knows that they're participating in the blockchain because the only reason they're participating is because they want to generate value from the currency. So when you hear about somebody that's mining Bitcoin or mining Ethereum, they might be doing it to make money using their processing power. But in reality, all of these people are not only adding monetary value to the blockchain by establishing the difficulty of generating a coin and, and deciding what the value of a coin should be based on the effort it takes to create one. They're also in the process powering this cluster of computing power 
So these are people that are that are dedicated enough to Bitcoin or to Ethereum that they're doing things like stringing dozens of graphics cards together or building new types of processors that can process these transactions more quickly and more securely and with less power draw. So the importance of Bitcoin starting as a money thing, as a decentralized money exchange, comes into play really, really nicely. Because that's still where you get all of the power from. Right. Because the people that are invested into Because the, the incentive is to get exactly. something out right. You you want something out of the end. If you're gonna contribute your computer's time and power or your personal time and effort, you want something in return for that. And so the fact that money was the start gives them something in the end. That's exactly right. Um and it's also I mean, it's a great reward system because everybody's incentivized to participate. If you want to build something on the blockchain, you're incentivized because of what your theme can do. If you have no interest in dApps and if you have no interest in Web 3.0 and if you have no interest in grid computing at all, you're still incentivized because you're getting something of value for performing those calculations. So whether you're invested into the technology or not, you're going to get something out of it by participating. Interesting. So uh, outside of the physical, not physical, the um, the conceptual, how it works, how it all kind of happens and, and the, the why it happens, um, what what are things I know you mentioned things like building apps based on it. What are other things that going forward are going to potentially be um, huge real world uses for something a lot, whether it's Bitcoin, Ethereum, just blockchain as a whole, or, or maybe some new, you know, block-based, decentralized something? Like, where where does this take us in the next handful of years? Like, are we going to all start getting our paychecks in Bitcoin and, and paying Amazon in Bitcoin? Or is it more like somebody else is going to adopt this technology and utilize it in ways to improve what we already have? It's an underpinning. And what I mean by that... Um, I don't think that Bitcoin and Ethereum are going to replace currency as we know it. It's almost inconceivable. But to explain the power and the potential behind the blockchain, it, it's important to really explain the concepts that give us the blockchain. So let's start by thinking about a database. All programs and all sets of data at their root are controlled by a database of some kind, a series of commands that's all hosted somewhere, whether that's a floppy disk or a cluster of servers. And it's, it's basically just data management in action. So let's take that concept to think about all the different things we can do with what we know as databases. Databases power banking. Databases power the internet. They power all of our software. They're what make our computers work. 
it's really the most basic fundamental building block of modern technology, the database. So you have to ask the question, and, and this is where you're going to really explore the potential in interesting ways. What if you could take that database, make it faster, make it redundant, and open it up to almost unlimited processing power? Well, you could do some pretty cool stuff. So what makes blockchain cool is that you can literally do anything that's been done in the past faster, more securely, with more power, with more community participation, and with more incentive for everybody along every single step of the way. So, so, so the blockchain as a database is something that could power the next generation of the internet. Sure. It's something that could replace social security numbers. It's something there's, that could become the idea. foundations of banking. So the, the question I have is if let's say the database idea and just let, let's say a, a corporate database and they do it through blockchain, mm -hmm. the idea of having it redundant is great. The idea of having it faster is great, but at, at some point, is there not a, a tipping point between the amount of data that you need to have through this database and the available bandwidth that you have on the internet to Absolutely. do these things efficiently? So, so I, I'm yeah, trying to figure so, out, like, is it... Um Historically, uh, the blockchains run into several bottlenecks. Um, it's it's become overcrowded. It's it's reached the point numerous times where something just has to be done to improve its performance because too many things are happening at once. So there's a lot of ways to handle that. If you think of a block as a pre-measured set of data, you can break it down into a number of other concepts, such as the number of lanes in a block or the size of the block, meaning the actual amount of transaction data that's contained in it, um, the difficulty of a block or how much calculation it actually requires to process all that data. So over the years, there have been several solutions for this. Bitcoin has undergone network improvements to make some of that stuff faster. In fact, they went through one very recently in which they basically, you know, quadrupled their their block size, quadrupled the amount of stuff that a single block could handle. A, another really good answer for that is Ethereum. Um, smart contracts or auto-executing code take a lot of the work out of the equation because instead of requiring people to calculate everything, now you have code itself. Um doing a, a good amount of that work. So the, the idea is it's always going to become congested and it's always going to become bottlenecked. But that fosters lots of different types of innovation. People will come up with more efficient ways to do those calculations. People will come up with ways to store larger amounts of those in smaller formats. And that's what's going to, I mean... Realistically, this is just how technology develops. So if you think of a block as like a piece of a processor, processors are built from all of these different components. They started with 
four bits, which means you could do four things at once with a processor. Eventually, we had 8-bit processors and 16-bit processors and 64-bit processors. And now we have, you know, 16 core 64-bit processors to process incredible amounts of data. Well, the same is true of the blockchain. It evolves in the same way that hardware would evolve. It becomes more efficient and capable of doing more as, as more developers focus on improving its efficiency and adding users to the network and uh, making it a smoother, more secure type of thing. Um, I really think that blockchain is going to be the future underpinnings of Web 3.0. It's faster than any system we've ever used to power the internet before. It's more secure than any system that we've ever used to power the internet before. And it, it can do a whole lot more than any of the things that we've tried to make the internet better. Um, because it takes things like hosting out of the equation. And it takes things like needing a server out of the equation. And it, it basically places all of that stuff on the community of the people that use it. So the only limits to the power of blockchain and, and what it can do um, are the amount of people participating. And the more popular it becomes, the natural result is the better and faster and more efficient it also becomes. Instead of bottlenecking under the pressure, having more users is actually a really, really good thing for the blockchain because it improves it as a whole. Right. The, the more people you have involved, the more people doing the processing, the more people you have doing the data storage, the more people, everything becomes spread out. So then I guess the other question um, kind of related to my my bandwidth question of like, let's say you have a huge database and you need to, you know, put information in a database and let's say your database is 80 gig. Like in theory, does that mean there's 80 gigs of data on every machine that redundantly houses this database? And if that's the case, and I'm just one person with a giant database and there's... Well, um, realistically, data is the wrong way to think about it. Um, so we're no longer thinking in terms of megabytes or, or gigabytes or really file sizes at all. We're thinking in terms of how many equations is this being built from? The nice thing about that is you can break down things that we commonly measure in kilobytes, megabytes, and gigabytes into the size of the ledger of transactions that they're based upon. We're really doing things like compressing video down to nothing more than a series of instructions, which means it's a lot smaller and it's a lot more, more manageable as a whole. So then so, to, to play back your video... The, the real answer is it's certainly not the case that every Bitcoin miner has terabytes and terabytes of data on their computer. Certainly yeah. not. They just verify that data, and that data is ultimately still going to be hosted similar to the way peer-to-peer -peer file sharing works. So think of it like a torrent, for instance. Sure. You have a piece of content out there, and you share it out. And every participant that, that wants to view that content will become also a sharer of 
that content. So it's distributed in the same way that a torrent is distributed, but on a much, much larger scale. So that is the first time that any of this has made any sense to me. I just want you to know that. Good. So uh, clearly my days of possibly illegally acquiring multimedia content from the internet uh, have made a little bit of sense out of that. So, so again, the idea that, that it's, it's the redundancy of things and that everything can be faster because you're not going from one thing to another thing, or even worse, one thing to a lot of things like one server out to a million visitors at a, you know, Exactly. At any point in time, instead, you're going You've got from bits and pieces and chunks of this content spread in infinite redundancy across the entire world. And then, and somebody um, goes to load it, and the ins- the instructions in the ledger then tell it, "I need these pieces of content," and those are then pulled in, or these instructions, and those are pulled in from somewhere else and compiled at the end user's machine. Exactly. So it puts a little more work. Like, for example, if it's a huge website, the the person on the end is doing the actual final build of everything, not the per, not the server doing the build and then just sending the graphic it's, down. It's really not even the person on the end doing the build. The build happens in bits and pieces as it travels through the blockchain. So. Yeah. Miners are confirming bits of that data and generating bits of that data. And after it, it it sort of makes its way through the cluster to you. The idea is that by the time it arrives there, all the work has already been done. It's a very interesting concept. Yeah. So you'll hear a lot of people when they talk about Ethereum, a lot of people have, have started calling it the world computer or a computer for the world because basically what you're doing is taking the computation that anything requires a lookup in a database a sending of a transaction a a hosting of a video and you're distributing it both infinitely and globally so it's like the ultimate realization of grid computing so the, the the part that I still have a hard time understanding, and maybe this is just because I'm not invested in it, is how does someone so you you have you have money in one or both of these currencies, correct? I think we're gonna be seeing the end of, of Bitcoin long before we see the end of its predecessors. Sure. So but you have money involved in them or somehow you have yeah, financial... I'm, I'm, I'm monetarily invested in the blockchain in lots of different ways. Okay. So what is to prevent someone else from replicating your string that says this is how much data or how much currency you have, how much well, there's ether lots of you have? Um a lot of it is is left to individuals to protect themselves. So all the money is stored in things called wallets, or in some cases, money can be stored in something like a smart contract. But the idea is that money is protected in several ways. You have a private key that only you have. You also might have a layer like 
a mnemonic or a specific series of a certain number of words that are your key to accessing and unlocking that. The thing that makes this both exciting and scary is, one, it gives you a lot of control over what happens to your money. Because without the private key, nobody can see or touch or do anything with your tokens. But on the other hand, if you lose that private key, suddenly neither can you. And then it's in theory gone forever. It's lost to the world. And just because I, I know that you're into, um, especially into Ethereum right now, um, how does, because in, in case a, a listener may be interested, how would one go about acquiring Ethereum? Ethereum. Ether? Ether or Ethereum. There's, there's, yeah, kind of, kind of two main names that it goes by. Um, for beginners, I, I recommend something like Coinbase. Okay. It's a really simple exchange. You can buy with a bank account. You can buy with a credit card. And a pretty solid strategy is to just buy and hold for long periods of time. All of the major cryptocurrencies have, you know, in one or two year spans, grown exponentially. There's really no reason to think that's going to stop as the popularity increases. So... For beginners, I mean, if you've got some money to toss at it, I would suggest buying it, holding on to it for a few years, and reaping the profits. So you can also use, you know, something called exchanges. So there's uh, there's things like GDAX, which is owned by Coinbase. Uh, there's things like Kraken.com. There's things like Bittrex. These are basically stock markets for cryptocurrencies. So you can buy and sell lots of different tokens. You can buy stuff on the margins. You can learn how to study financial charts and get a good understanding of when values are likely to rise and fall and, you know, sort of gamble financially on that aspect. Um, so I had a thought. Uh, oh, so the other, the other day when I, I, asked if you were interested in, in discussing this i you know one of my first questions was so how does it work like give me a super high level thing and and you said the value is determined by buying and selling so mm-hmm. the exchange is truly like a stock market but the stock that is being traded is cryptocurrency but the That's exactly right the way the value increases for everyone else is because of the exchange or is it because of mining like like i how is the value determined other than you have more Bitcoin than me and now I want more Bitcoin. So I will give you money for your Bitcoin. Like I, yeah. So a lot of it, a lot of it now is based on exchanges and how those exchanges react to different types of news. Like, you know, if, uh, if a high up politician in Russia says something good or bad about Ethereum, you know, people are going to buy or sell as a result, and, and that's going to cause massive price fluctuations. So is is that not a concern for people who are invested in it, that the, the, the one thing that you want out of your currency usually is consistency, stability, because you don't, you don't want to go to the store today and buy 
you know, a, a package of Oreos for $3 and then go to the store tomorrow and they've changed the value of a dollar and now it's $9, but I don't have more dollars than I did yesterday. Right, but it's really no different than the other currency in that respect. I mean, think of the value of the euro in comparison to the value of the U.S. dollar or right. the Japanese yen in comparison to the U.S. But, dollar. There's never going to be an even exchange. Well, but right? I'm, I'm not saying necessarily the even exchange part. I'm saying the the consistency, that the the value of a dollar or the value of a euro, yes, there is some minor fluctuation, but a matter of a few cents here and there or a few pence here or there or whatever the... Right, so this is why I think it's a bad idea to think of things like Bitcoin and Ethereum as a currency um, because they're really not. They're just a way to trade things back and forth, whether those things or data or tokens worth a certain monetary value at a specific time. Got it. So the idea here would be if you need, if you want or need to make a transaction, a financial transaction in one of these, you may buy it at the time you're using it, so you're only paying what it costs, and not sure. Or, or you could, or, you or you could, buy it you could early hold and hold on to it. Or, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like you know, if I were going to buy something from you, for instance, and that thing costs two thousand dollars, I, I would just have to pinpoint the value in Bitcoin or Ethereum that. $2,000 means at that point, and we can still trade something across that gives that value. Sure. But I I certainly don't think it would be a good idea to have something like, uh, you know, a, a bank account based on Bitcoin or uh, based on sure. Ethereum, because you're absolutely right. The consistency is not there. It could, it could wildly fluctuate. You could have $100,000 one day and, you know, something bad happens and suddenly you only have $60,000. Right. Um, so definitely, I mean, long term, it's always going to grow. I think that's that's kind of the main focus. But if you really want to have a consistent value, yeah, definitely don't store it all in crypto. Sure. So so the the basic, I guess, end end thought here um, is the idea of cryptocurrency is maybe the wrong way to look at all of blockchain and that block blockchain computing is a much more feasible, realistic, long-term tool that exactly. things like Bitcoin or Ethereum are things that can also happen on this same platform, but that they're not, they're maybe not the piece of technology long-term or the thing long-term that's going to make the landslide shift in the way the internet works, the way yeah, identification so the works, way, the way life works. The way that I've learned to think about this is that money is really nothing more than a side effect of the blockchain. All the financial stuff is secondary. What you're really gambling on and what really gives those things any value in the first place is what they're capable of doing and offering on a technology level. So real quick before we, before we wrap, um, I see here in our, our show notes, you have a couple things linked. I assume there are things you want to share to, to pimp for your, 
your friends or whoever it is uh, a book or two? Yeah, so there's a, there's a really nice book out there. It's called Ethereum, A Distributed Consensus. It does a pretty good job of explaining the history of Ethereum, how it sort of naturally evolved from Bitcoin, and a pretty good idea of what it can do and the sort of power that it can have. So um, about 15 bucks on Amazon. It's a really good explanation. Um, I've also got a link here. It's just kind of a primer on blockchain technology and how it works. A few examples of cool apps like Viewly, uh, that's V-I-E-W dot L-Y, which is going to be basically a decentralized version of YouTube. So a lot faster video sharing, better monetary compensation for sharing your videos based on their actual popularity. Um, we're probably going to have a really good end of the year, whether you choose to invest in Bitcoin or or Ethereum. Um, probably not any of the smaller stuff because that's like super duper volatile. But I mean, there's, there's a pretty good reason to think that it would be a good idea to you know toss a little bit into whichever mainstream cryptocurrency of your choice and just kind of let it hang out because there's some there's some cool stuff happening towards the end of the year. Awesome, and and if people want to contribute their computers processing capabilities to this is there a place to start with that um yeah so um depending on whether you want to mine bitcoin or ethereum there's there's a few different things out there um the one that i like the one that i started with was called bitminter it's just a soft client it's javascript based it runs on top of your computer and it lets you mine bitcoin um but to be perfectly honest, I wouldn't recommend that anybody start mining or that anybody start investing in Bitcoin or Ethereum or blockchain unless they get a really solid understanding of the market and, and what can be done with it first. Otherwise, they'll probably end up regretting it. Good to know. <laughs> um, if if people want to find your your thoughts on the internet, do you have anywhere specific you want them to to look? Have you started a new bit blog or anything uh, like that? Certainly not yet. Um, I, I do have a project that I'm working on that's that's going to be pretty heavily involved with cryptocurrency. Um, you can find all that stuff by following me on Twitter at the Glenja, and I'll have a link to that in the show notes. And uh, you can find the show notes for this week's episode at interface.fm slash 60. That's six zero. While you're there, find uh, links to our social things and all the things we talked about today. Like I said, Glenn's uh, Twitter account. And Glenn, I appreciate all of your knowledge. I still have no idea how any of this works. But <laughs> I'm sure if I listen to this podcast over and over again, maybe some of it will soak in. Um, yeah, it's definitely a lot to take in for sure. So. I appreciate you joining me this week and I will uh, catch everyone on the next one. Here, here's here's one, one, one other thing I'll ask you because I was looking for this the other day. Is there... I'm sure it would be incredibly boring, but is there a way to just watch the activity of the blockchain? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So depending on which blockchain, you can go to, I think it's etherscan.io. 
A-B-E-T-H-C, etherscan.io. That's, yeah, that's exactly right. Um, you can view transactions in real time there. Um, you're not, yeah, they're pretty boring. You're not going to get much I, out of I them. assume it's just watching a bunch of numbers and hashes go by. Pretty much. Yep, yeah. that's pretty much right. But, but you know, sometimes something exciting will happen. Like, you'll see 30,000 Ether float across the channel, and you think, who the hell owns 30,000 Ether? <laughs> Somebody who bought it when it was a dollar and now... <laughs> or a billionaire trying to influence the price. That happens, well, too. I, I, I'm sure that could happen. Yeah. God, what a weird, what a weird world. Yeah.